Hey everyone, welcome in to Patterns Tell Stories. I'm your host, Klaus, and today we're going to be talking about the mirror universe. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Garrett. How's it going, man? Good, man. It's been a great week. How are you doing? Oh, good. It's a long week. Not really much to go over in terms of recent news, except for you know Sean Kirkpatrick being an asshole again. And every time I look at Twitter, I want to throw my phone in the river. Uh, so we can kind of skip past that. I was just in a Twitter space where this guy said that he thought that the uh, sun was cold. <laughs> And I was like, I got to fucking bounce. <laughs> I don't even want to ask. That's like flat earth on crack. I've heard I've, they're in there too. I've heard them. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Times are tough right now, man. Yeah, dude. People are losing their shit. Yeah, I guess Sean Kirkpatrick did another feature, if you want to call it that, in Scientific American. He previously did an article or an op-ed where he cited Stephen Greenstreet, or uh, apparently didn't on purpose. It was the editors of Scientific American that plugged in Stephen Greenstreet's video links into his article. So either way, it's weird as hell, but... Yeah, they decided to do a interview on, I guess, Scientific American as a podcast. Pretty much it's all the same old bullshit that he's been going through. But I thought it was interesting that he said, quote unquote, top leaders were sitting in his office accusing him of being complicit in the cover up. And his response was, I'm not old enough to have been involved that long. So that just kind of goes to show where his head's at. And still weird as hell that he's doing this. And actually, yeah, the main thing I wanted to touch on with this is that Kirkpatrick is an unpaid liaison to Arrow, while at the same time working as a contractor at one of the national labs for the DOE. That's just sketchy as hell. I don't really want to dissect that right now because I'm so sick of this guy. I read in Politico um, the other day that 500 journalists were laid off in January alone of this year. And the fact that like, you know, certain outlets like Scientific American are spending whatever resources they have on uh, kind of going after and discrediting the UFO topic, you know, I don't know. It just seems weird to me that that's what they would choose to spend their money on at this point in time with the media landscape looking so bleak. But anyway, yeah, Kirkpatrick's pulling his bullshit. I don't know if you wanted to comment on that. Um, not particularly. I mean, <laughs> I, I thought I brought this up Last week about, uh, what was his name? I think it was the Moultrie and... Uh, Scott Bray, who was... Scott Bray, yes. The only picture I've ever seen of him is him like in his kitchen cooking like a casserole. <laughs> Same. <It's> so weird. <laughs> yes, that guy. <laughs> and th those were the guys before Aro or Arrow had been established with Kirkpatrick. Those were the guys that were kind of the spokesmen for the DOD. That's my understanding. Yeah. Right, and right. then and then bef after that they established Arrow but even that was a clown show it was almost insulting how little they knew to the point when that uh, representative Gallagher is bringing up Malmstrom Air Force Base and like nuclear incidents things that these individuals should know there's no reason that they should not know these stories yeah but there is a reason <laughs> <laughs> yes, for real. I mean, it's yes, intentional. A hundred percent. And whether these guys are just guys that were chosen for these roles and it, they were guys that genuinely don't know a lot about the topic. So they're just like have that plausible deniability to go, oh, well, I'm ignorant of this or I don't know. Probably a mix, I'm guessing. That's what I would say. Or at least that's how it sounded to me. The problem is I don't know what is 
true, you know, like I, I, so it's really hard for me to distinguish, but like even the way they were behaving towards just simple questions was just very bizarre and indirect. You can tell they've been doing this since Roswell, like since day one, since this Department of Defense has been established, we've been being told that like this was a weather balloon or these things are swamp gas or these things are all these prosaic explanations or seagulls or you're, they're just crazy and they're just trying to trick you. And like, I don't know, man, it gets to a point where the people that call themselves debunkers, they just start denying anything. Like the, I feel like I'm going on a fucking weird tangent, but <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. I don't think I have a, a it's Kirkpatrick. Like opinion of Kirkpatrick. It's just bullshit. Keeping people up to date when there's not much going on. Um, except for obfuscation. It's, like, it's a frustrating way to start out the show. But let's get into some weird shit that you just brought to my attention. And, uh, well, it's not really weird. It's just something that I completely missed back when it came out um, in 2016 in the John Podesta email leaks. So if you want to give a rundown of what those were just in general, um, I think you have a pretty good grasp on that about what happened. Sure. I'm trying to peg exactly when these happened because I know it was before the 2020 election. Or no, not 2020, 2016, right? Because it was yep. Trump and Clinton. This is also something that happened before Tom DeLong went on Joe Rogan because I think he mentions it in the interview. And he says like, yeah, and all these emails leaked. And uh, I was talking to this guy and then everyone was like, oh. When did he go on Rogan? I have it written down because I was going to write a Substack about that. It was just too date heavy. It was really hard to digest. Oh, it was like a year later. Did you find where he went on? Yeah, October 2017. 2017. Yeah, so that, that WikiLeaks shit had already happened by then. Yeah. Okay, so in my opinion, is if you're someone who like is researching this, at that point in time, a lot of people didn't really know what to make of Tom DeLonge. And when this happened, a lot of people were like, whoa, Tom DeLonge is talking to some really important people. I don't know this for sure. And I think WikiLeaks is a sketchy ass website, so I don't know. But like, this is what I understand the story to be. And apparently this is corroborated by some mainstream news outlets, as we'll talk about. Apparently, Tom DeLonge was talking to this, uh, I think he was a major general in the Air Force. And another guy he was talking to was... Uh, who was uh, John Podesta, a guy that Tom has said is like someone that we should really have our a, a close eye on if we want to learn more about this topic, because he's famously said, I think one of his biggest regrets about something he like couldn't accomplish during his time in uh, serving one of his roles was that he couldn't have done more about the UFO topic. I'm paraphrasing that. I, I think he's made a statement like that. Yeah, he tweeted that, I guess, towards the end or at the end of, of his time there. He was a senior advisor to Obama at the time that these emails happened. And he was obviously like Hillary Clinton's campaign manager when they leaked. So there was something that was supposed to happen. That's all we could really say. Got you. And I know there was a bunch of other emails that like the, the WikiLeaks, that, that dump was gigantic. And one of the other things that was in there apparently, was an email exchange sent from Apollo 14 astronaut Dr. Edgar Mitchell to John Podesta. 
and it's Edgar Mitchell telling him that we need to like speed up what we're calling today the disclosure process. The disclosure meaning like the disclosure of an extraterrestrial presence on the planet. He mentions like probably read it. Yeah, let's let's fucking read it instead of me just <laughs> bizarrely trying to describe it. Garrett GPT summary. <laughs> Yeah, so you can actually find all these emails on the internet archive. I guess I guess Gary uh, like typed it out from something into a Word document. I just searched it and took the link from the NBC News article because I didn't believe it was real. I was like, "What the hell? What the hell is this?" He sends me a Word document of like Edgar Mitchell typing a note to John Podesta, and I had never seen it before. That's why I wanted to talk about it. We all kind of knew Tom DeLong was going back and forth about like to the stars. Well. Maybe not to the star stuff. Was he? Yeah, I'm sure he was. But uh, yeah, just the fact that like he was also in contact with Edgar Mitchell, getting his opinions. And it seemed like Podesta was taking like a lot of people's uh, input on whatever this disclosure plan was that he obviously had in mind. And he's been kind of on the surface of this thing, expressing interest in UFOs. And I guess he was, I think he was on like Ancient Aliens once or twice. But uh, yeah, I just think it's really interesting that like, clearly there was an organized, um, at least gathering of information and uh, opinion from people who kind of knew what they were talking about, or at least had been involved in the subject for a while. The fact that, yeah, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, who was involved in a lot of kind of psi studies, uh, he was involved with Bigelow. Are you talking about the IONS, the Institute of Noetic Science? Yes, yes, yeah, that one. That, to me, blew my mind when I realized that that existed. John Mack was another guy that was heavily involved with that. The emails that actually got sent to John Podesta was, um, I guess, Edgar Mitchell. He had an agent or maybe not an agent, but someone in contact with John Podesta's secretary. Her name was Rebecca Hardcastle Wright, basically emailing back and forth with Podesta about meeting up to talk about Disclosure, basically. So this is how the email starts out. It's from rhardcastlewright at gmail.com to Aaron M. Sepp, who I actually looked her up. She is former Army. Yeah, worked in the Obama administration. And it is also addressed to john.podesta at gmail.com. This is on July 29th, 2014, in the middle of the second Obama administration term. And the subject is uh, reply, Apollo astronaut Dr. Edgar Mitchell Request for meeting to discuss disclosure. Dear Aaron, Dr. Mitchell is available for a meeting with John Podesta the week of August 11th, but will not be able to come to D.C. He would like me to attend the meeting and then we patch him in via Skype. Thanks for getting back to me on this with a date and time. My phone number is blah, blah, blah. Regards, Rebecca. Podesta's point of contact, Aaron, says, Received. Thanks, Rebecca. Sorry for the delay. It's been a heck of a month. John would likely take this meeting alone first before involving the president. So let me ask him if he can do this in August. He'll be in town August 11th through the 22nd. Is Dr. Mitchell planning to be in town then? And um, this one comes straight from Dr. Mitchell. He says, Dear John Podesta, as we move into the last half of 2014, the need for extraterrestrial disclosure intensifies. Thank you for your kind consideration and response to my email. This 4th of July weekend, I will meet with President Obama's friend, Ambassador Hamamoto. 
at the U.S. mission in Geneva during their Independence Day celebration. While in Geneva, I will also speak at the U.N. and the European Space Agency regarding why we must move forward with disclosure and scientific programs such as manned moon missions, since some scientists and others are calling for moon colonization due to what they perceive is happening on Earth. John, with this email, I am requesting a conversation with you and President Obama regarding the next steps in extraterrestrial disclosure for the benefit of our country and our planet. 50 years ago, Battelle, Brookings, and Rand studies on UFOs convinced the government to remove knowledge of the extraterrestrial presence from the citizens of our country. These organizations advised with their best information. However, today, much, if not most, of the extraterrestrial reality they examined is known by our citizens. These organizations' resultant strategies and policies of 50 years ago no longer hold credibility or benefit. Five decades of UFO information have dramatically shifted the public awareness of an extraterrestrial presence, and yet our government is still operating from outdated beliefs and policies. These are detrimental to trust in government transparency, science, religion, and responsible citizenry embracing the next step in our country's space travel and research. Three disclosure issues are prominent. One, planet sustainability via next-generation energies such as zero-point energy. Uh, two, galactic travel and research undertaken as an advanced species aware of the extraterrestrial presence, not as uninformed explorers who revert to colonialism and destruction. And three, the example of a confident, engaged government who respectfully regards the wisdom and intellect of its citizens as we move into space. I respectfully receive your response to my request for conversation on disclosure. Warmest regards, Edgar Mitchell. I guess, you know, emails go in reverse order. So I think that was actually sent first. And then the two correspondence above that happened afterwards. So I honestly don't care. I I care that he sent that email. (laughs) I could care less the order. That's wild, dude. Yes. I wish this wasn't fucking Russian hacked shit. And it's, it's also disappointing because Dr. Mitchell's passed away. And this, yeah. that's the thing that's like, and it, you know, something fascinating about him and another thing he's tied to is the uh, Wilson Davis memo supposedly was like from his, his estate possession yeah. or something. Yeah. So I don't know, man. I've always had this saved and I sent it to you because it kind of related to what we were talking to at the time. I always thought that it was something that like, it was worth reading. The idea of uh, Battelle and Brookings and Rand and these like organizations he mentions and uh, the programs he mentions, planet sustainability, galactic travel, all of these types of things are exciting. I feel like as an astronaut, his book was called The Way of the Explorer. And have you read it? I mean, I've... Uh, no, <laughs> I'm not even going to pretend it's I hate when people pretend to read books and I'm not going to be that guy. Dude, and, that uh, is, I didn't uh, read it. I know what it's called, but I didn't read it yet. The real question is, have you read enough of Edgar Mitchell to know if this sounds like him? I think it sounds like him. I do, too. And also, for anyone curious, you're welcome to check out my Twitter and you can type in Edgar Mitchell at Liberty Burb and you can see the documentary clips I've posted of this guy. Like, I've really went into the weeds, listened to him on Coast to Coast, listened to him uh, talk about his institute, talk about his experience in space. He's a very interesting man. I just didn't happen to read that one book. 
And I think that uh, you're, you're good, dude. <laughs> you can't read every fucking book in the world. The one thing I have, it's fucking, you know, this was hacked by Russia. I mean, people have their feelings about Assange and WikiLeaks, and those are kind of like besides the point when we're looking at something like this, because they mix in disinformation. Like, they all do it. It's classic intelligence activities that to obfuscate, they mix in bullshit with the real stuff. From a quick search, I can't tell if these are faked the one NBC News article that actually mentions these, <laughs> I'll just read what it says. Uh, when hackers broke into Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman John Podesta's private email account, little did they know they were entering the twilight zone. Ha ha ha, hilarious. Uh, there amid the grist and gossip about the inner workings of the campaign and some pedestrian tidbits about Podesta's personal life was irrefutable proof that UFOs were on the radar of one of Washington's best-known power brokers. In a June 25th, 2014 email disclosed by WikiLeaks, the late NASA astronaut Edgar Mitchell requested, quote, a conversation with you and President Obama regarding the next steps in extraterrestrial disclosure for the benefit of our country and our planet. At the time, Podesta was a counselor to Obama, and he responded via his rep on July 18th of that year. They basically go on to summarize the rest of the email, and then they start talking about Tom. I guess they're just reporting what they read. So there's no indication, at least in this article, that this is planted or fake. I mean, there's always that chance, obviously, but uh, not from anything I, I've seen. You know, just kind of searching through and seeing if there's any red flags here. Because it definitely does sound like him from what I've read of Edgar Mitchell before. I don't know. Maybe people disagree, but that's kind of where I'm at at this moment. I'm trying to uh, think of the people that have actually talked about this particular email. Dude, there's another fucking Mitchell email. Is it crazier than this one? This is 2015, so a year later. So the email says, Hugs, John. I write on behalf of Dr. Mitchell to request your Skype talk with him ASAP regarding disclosure and the difference between celestials in our own solar system and their restraint by those from the nonviolent contiguous universe. Edgar recently closed Quantrek due to health reasons. Yeah, I guess he was sick and he really wanted to talk to John Podesta. Uh, his talk with you, John, is one of great importance given the alternative of your not being aware of these key distinctions heralding either intergalactic warfare or peace. It is also imperative that after your talk with Edgar, he then speak directly with President Obama via Skype for historical purposes about the same issue while the president is still in office. John Edgar has consulted on consciousness matters for American presidents in the past, has addressed the UN General Assembly twice. He is not in need of a personal experience and wishes only to serve. Thank you and Aaron for letting me know dates and times for your availability so I can relay that to Edgar. Let's talk about this. All right. Dr. Mitchell wanted to talk to Podesta about the difference between celestials in our own solar system and their restraint by those from the nonviolent contiguous universe. What does that mean? I'm Googling nonviolent contiguous universe. <laughs> well, right nonviolent. Contiguous yeah, means. I think like, I know what nonviolent is. Well, here we go. This is kind of where I'm getting at. Well, I mean, this ties in with what I wanted to talk about originally, which was the, the mirror universe. Nonviolent contiguous means like right next to. I mean, is that does that not sound like the contiguous universe? No, that's that sounds exactly like that. <laughs> Full disclosure, we like I've never read these two things before. How you haven't read this second one, right? No. I, I this is news to me. I only had the first one. I've had that saved for years. I haven't ever like uh thought that there was more. What this sounds like to me, and it's going to sound bonkers, is uh, there is a um, contiguous universe. There's a universe right next to ours. 
you know, the phrase like contiguous 48 states. Sure. Right? Yeah. So similar to that. And that, that suggests to me that there are violent aliens or extraterrestrials in our own solar system, and they are being held back by others that are nonviolent from the uh, mirror universe, is what that sounds like to me. So that, <laughs> that sounds fucking bonkers. And this is where I get like really weirded out. And I'm like, is it this Russian disinformation? But at the same time, yeah, man, I don't know what to think. I hate, I hate to pretend like I know. It's very rare that we get these like spur of the moment, like revelations that we're, where we just read something for the first time. It's like, holy shit. Usually like we talk it out and kind so, of go back and forth and process it a little bit more. But this is uh, literally in John Podesta's leaked emails. Do you think that any of the things mentioned in this email or these emails are more provocative than things Mitchell has already said in his time alive? like in interviews, because I feel like he's already said things like there is an ET presence, right? Like, he, yeah, he said that uh, Warner Von Braun was aware of an ET presence or that he's mentioned that we had help in developing certain things. And like between all that and between the uh, Wilson Davis memo being like found at his house, this very easily could be real. Yeah. I believe the timeline with all the events he mentions and the people that are involved in these events. But we've seen brilliant hoaxes before. Those familiar with the UMO letters know that like a hoax can be very sophisticated and like, who knows? But I think it's real for what it's worth, which isn't very much in my opinion. But I think that uh, I, I do think that it's real. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm. You're right. It's nothing Nothing that hasn't been said before by, by Edgar Mitchell. I guess what comes to mind for me is like they release, you know, a bunch of emails that people sent, like the NASA UAP panel, right? And there was a whole bunch of like batshit crazy stuff in there. So that's kind of like where my mind shoots to here, but it's fucking Edgar Mitchell. And it's John Podesta, who's clearly in contact with a lot of people about disclosure. What does John Podesta do now? Could we ask John Podesta? Could we like he's fucking to- like the energy czar for Biden? He's in the Biden White House working on clean energy. Nice. What you're hearing right now is like cognitive dissonance in real time. Like <laughs> I'm trying try to process this. All right, let's just move on and like just fuck with our own heads even more. I just looked it up and apparently the position Podesta holds right now, the United States Special Presidential Envoy for Climate. So that's like clean energy, basically, directing all that shit. So I looked up Quantrek and there's a LinkedIn article titled Dr. Edgar Mitchell's Quantrek Legacy, Zero Point Energy Consciousness and the Extraterrestrial Presence. Yeah, it was a zero-point energy research organization, and this was a parallel effort along with the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which he founded in 1973. This is what he said about it. On the other side of that is a newer effort, a different effort, a parallel effort that I've undertaken having to do with the quantum hologram and the fact that we need new energy resources. There's a new organization called Quantrek, which is involved in the deeper hard sciences of that effort and parallel to what the Institute is doing with its transformative work. Uh, To commence a mainstream dialogue unifying science and spirituality, Edgar researched and promoted quantum hologram. I don't know, man. This is fucking nuts. And then he says it's imperative that after you talk with Edgar, he then speak with President Obama. This is what I find probably the most interesting is that Edgar has consulted on consciousness matters for American presidents in the past. What American presidents had questions about consciousness? 
It says he has also addressed the UN General Assembly twice. Do you know anything about those addresses? I'm I'm guessing, but if I were to guess the presidents, I would guess potentially Jimmy Carter. That makes sense, yeah. Because Definitely. Jimmy Carter was fascinated with these programs. And he mentioned that one uh, before one of his psychics somehow found a plane that was downed that the United States was desperately trying to find. And probably Reagan, right? I, that was going to be my second name. Yeah. So Carter was president from 71 to 75. And I know that he was fascinated with the Apollo missions. I would wager that Jimmy Carter was one president that he's probably spoke to. But I don't know. I, George... Bush Sr. is another one who's very fascinating because he was a former director of the CIA and he was Bush or uh, and he was Reagan's VP. He was keen and privy to a lot of information that a lot of presidents wouldn't have been. Didn't Reagan have a psychic, like a personal psychic? Yeah, according to uh, Andrea Puharik in interviews I've listened to, he claims that uh, what was his name? Peter Herkos. I think is the gentleman's name, who he says was Reagan's psychic. Reagan's an interesting guy. For one, he was a member of the Disciples of Christ, which is like a small sect of Christianity that only a handful of people, like I think a few thousand of people belong to. I know LBJ, uh, JFK, he, he was JFK's VP and he became president after Kennedy was killed. LBJ was another member of this small sect. And then uh, Jim Jones, the former leader of the uh, Heaven's Gate cult, he was also a member of this sect before he made his like insane group. God damn it. And so, and then he thought that an angel appeared during the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And you guys can look that up. I think he said it before he became governor. And uh, there's a speech where he says that he thought an angel appeared when the founding fathers were signing the Declaration of Independence. The stuff that some of our leaders have believed is absolutely bonkers. I think there was like a story about uh, the Brits were trying to like burn down Washington, D.C., and then, like, aliens came and shot tornadoes at him. And that's why we what? won. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Something like that. I haven't heard that version. <laughs> What's the version you heard? I don't know, dude. We got mad at the taxes and poured all the tea in the water. I don't know. It was probably, like, ancient aliens came and just fucking contorted the shit into their own thing. But uh, this is from the NOAA DC listing of historical tornadoes. So this is a .gov URL. So August 25th, 1814, early in the afternoon, a strong tornado struck northwest Washington and downtown. The severe tornadic storm arrived the day that the British troops had set fire to the Capitol, the White House, and other public buildings. The storm's rains would douse those fires. The tornado did major structural damage to the residential section of the city. More British soldiers were killed by the tornado's flying debris than by the guns of the American resistance. The tornado blew off roofs and carried them high into the air, knocked down chimneys and fences, and damaged numerous homes. Some homes were destroyed. It lifted two pieces of cannon and deposited them several yards away. At least 30 Americans were killed or injured in the heavily damaged buildings, and an unknown number of British were killed and injured. Uh, I forget who it was, but probably Asian aliens took that and made it like uh, they wanted America to win the war for whatever reason. <laughs> so they uh, did their whole like weather control shit, I guess. <laughs> you know, you know, the weather control shit. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, that's a wild story. That fucking battle. Washington was like saved by a tornado. That's like a legit like NOAA like entry. 
God, imagine the amount of knowledge the NOAA has. Yeah, dude, they even have like aliens fucking shooting tornadoes at Brits. <laughs> they got everything. Imagine what they have on their satellites. I think that this uh, Edgar Mitchell shit is real, bro. But then when it's not real, everyone's going to turn around and be like, you guys lied to us. Get them. <laughs> and we're like, no. <laughs> I'm reading this. Uh, I don't even know if it's worth mentioning, dude, because I, 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 it's just a lot of shit that I don't even know if it's worth reading all the way. He says that like he thinks that the, the United States is like part of this big prophecy. That's it. <laughs> no, not necessarily. I mean, he's talking about the signing of dec- the Declaration of Independence. He goes, okay, I'm not going to just blast it all and read it to you if it's not worth reading. Well, I thought we established that with the, with the tornadoes. That's true. That's the, <laughs> obviously a prophetic uh, act of God. So go for it. Okay, so this is in the 1974 CPAC speech by Ronald Reagan. And this is uh, skipped a little ahead into the speech. But he goes, you can call it mysticism if you want to, but I've always believed that there was some divine plan that placed this great continent between two oceans to be sought out by those who were possessed of an abiding love of freedom and a special kind of courage. This was true of those who pioneered the great wilderness of the beginning of this country, as it is also true of those later immigrants who were willing to leave the land of their birth and come to a land where even the language was unknown to them. Call it chauvinistic, but our heritage does not set us apart. Some years ago, a writer who happened to be an avid student of history told me a story about that day in the little hall in Philadelphia where honorable men hard-pressed by a king who was flouting the very law that they were willing to obey, debated whether they should take the fateful step of declaring their independence from that king. The issue hung in the balance, and then, according to the story, a man rose in the small gallery. He was not a young man and was obviously calling on all the energy he could muster. Citing the grievances that had brought him to this moment, he said, sign that parchment. They may turn every tree into gallows, every home into a grave, and yet the words of that parchment can never die. And then it is said he fell back exhausted, but 56 delegates swept by his eloquence signed the Declaration of Independence, a document destined to be immortal as any work of man can be. And according to the story, when they turned to thank him for his timely oratory, he could not be found nor were there any who knew where he was or how he had come in or gone through the locked and guarded doors. So it's just a dude like fucking inciting revolution and just bouncing. Like, that's wild. Yeah, some silver-tongued devil, holy ghosted in front of all the founding fathers. It's like an Always Sunny episode, but they actually did an episode on that. The cracking of the Liberty Bell. But like, uh, that's wild. I think it's weird. And I think, uh, I don't know if I heard this from Peter Lavenda. I want to give him credit if I did, because I feel like he's mentioned insane. I know he got me going on insane belief systems of these world leaders and what these guys believe. And he, for those who don't know, he wrote a brilliant book on Mormonism and like Mormonism in America and the history of that. Yeah, I just think that he's brilliant. I heard a crazy story in a Twitter space the other night. Uh, About what? The sun was cold? 
<laughs> I could outdo that like 10 times over, but this is actually like real, or at least, you know, seemed very credible. I guess this guy's nephew started working. Like he, he was like naming names and shit, like the school he went to and where he graduated from. And I guess uh, the guy's nephew like interned at Lockheed, basically was like top of his class. And then they hired him. He obviously like couldn't say anything because he was working on classified projects. Like as, he, as as the kid was growing up, he went to like Christian school, like Catholic school, basically. And he, he like didn't really buy into religion at all. Apparently, like like a few years after he started working at Lockheed, he like basically started going to church every weekend. He became like super religious. The guy asked him like, why, like, why are you religious all of a sudden after you hated it like your whole life? His nephew was just like, yeah, it just makes sense now. So that freaks me out. It just makes sense now? Yeah, I guess uh, whatever he learned at Lockheed, I don't know. Dude. <laughs> what was he like? What was he like? I, he became... I didn't know him. It was a dude in the Twitter space. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, that's just bizarre. I feel like there's another story like that. I can't remember right now off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, I think it's. Oh, was it was it uh, Tim Taylor? Did he become re- religious after he went to the Vatican? He became Catholic, right? In uh, American Cosmic, I don't. Really, he, he's the stud that she talks about, right? Yeah, like he's the coolest like the guy na- ever, like the NASA uh, engineer intelligence guy. And I guess like the end of the book, like he went to the Vatican with her, and he completely converted to Catholicism. I don't like it at all. <laughs> Well, it's it's so powerful, man. Like, people wouldn't be religious if it didn't offer them a huge something. What about the phenomenon would cause well, that someone part to of all it makes me really like unsettling? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That aspect is, uh, I don't know. Even like Elizondo said, some people would lose faith in religion, or some people would turn to religion even more. It just seems like another example of that. I could see that a hundred percent, bro. Think about the amount of people that, regardless, I could probably name four examples off the cuff, and I'm sure you could too, but like, just think in your head, at least three or four religions that would like be like, oh, this is immediate confirmation, our religion is correct. I don't know. I feel like I sound dumb as fuck trying to explain this, <laughs> but like, uh, I keep thinking like different scenarios in my head of how this goes, and I'm thinking about like, oh, well, what if the Pope came came out and said that UFOs are actually aliens and they're actually angels and they're the same thing? What would we do? And in my head, I'm like, nothing. The Pope has been saying that angels are real for fucking ever. He's the Pope. <laughs> and like, I don't know. You get what I'm saying? Like, the people that believe in these things, like, I've come across many of them. I think that they're sincere in their beliefs. But I don't think that, like, um, from a religious standpoint, if these things are related to religion, I just don't know how it's going to shift. I feel like an event would be more dangerous or, like, ripe for abuse by groups, like, to yeah. try to interpret but as things stand right now in terms of like what what could they disclose to us i don't know but i also know the vatican apparently has a lot of bizarre historical like artifacts in their library it, uh, ironically like well maybe not ironically because they at one point were like the institution to like be modeled after you know what i mean but like when it comes to like astronomy the vatican observatory is one of the most impressive in the world i don't know I think that that catches some people off guard how seriously they take these things. It just makes more and more sense when you think about it, how these are like two sides of the same coin. They're just interpreted through humans over time. Oh, God, it's heavy. 
But I did want to kind of circle back to this contiguous universe thing. I did want to talk about like the mirror universe a little bit. We did talk about it previously. So there's this study in Antarctica called the Anita uh, Neutrino Observatory. The thing that was weird is that you know these uh, neutrinos are pretty much only predicted to be detected as like coming down from space through uh, cosmic rays. Randomly, they found like they reviewed data over over several years, and they found that neutrinos were actually coming up from the Earth out of the ice. That kind of threw a bunch of shit into like disarray when it comes to like theories and stuff. And one of the you know only remaining theories on the table is that there is a mirror universe somewhere that these neutrinos are coming from. And this is something that exclusively happens in Antarctica? Uh, it's where they exclusively have the detector. So Got you. This is the theory. It's an article from Live Science. I guess they're kind of developing this theory like at DOE National Laboratories. This article was published March 16th, 2022. So this is a bit after the Antarctica article was published. So uh, a wild new theory suggests that there may be another anti-universe running backward in time prior to the Big Bang. The idea assumes that the early universe was small, hot, and dense, and so uniform that time looks symmetric going backward and forward. If true, the new theory means that dark matter isn't so mysterious. It's just a new flavor of a ghostly particle called a neutrino that can only exist in this kind of universe. And the theory implies that there would be no need for a period of inflation that rapidly expanded the size of the young cosmos soon after the Big Bang. If true, then future experiments to hunt for gravitational waves or to pin down the mass of neutrinos could answer once and for all whether this mirror anti-universe exists. Uh, physicists have identified a set of fundamental symmetries in nature. The three most important are charge. So if you flip the charges of all the particles involved in an interaction to their opposite charge, you'll get the same interaction. Uh, parity. If you look at the mirror image of an interaction, you get the same result. And time, if you run an interaction backwards in time, it looks the same. So physical interactions obey most of these symmetries most of the time, which means that there are sometimes violations, but physicists have never observed a violation of a combination of all three symmetries at the same time. So if you take every single interaction observed in nature and flip the charges, take the mirror image and run it backwards in time, those interactions behave exactly the same. So this fundamental symmetry is CPT symmetry, which stands for charge parity in time. We live in an expanding universe. The universe is filled with lots of particles doing lots of interesting things, and the evolution of the universe moves forward in time. If we extend the concept of CPT symmetry to our entire cosmos, then our view of the universe can't be the entire picture. Instead, there must be more. To preserve the CPT symmetry throughout the cosmos, there must be a mirror image cosmos that balances out our own. This cosmos would have all opposite charges than we have, be flipped in the mirror, and run backward in time. Our universe is just one of a twin. Taken together, the two universes obey CPT symmetry. A CPT-respecting universe naturally expands and fills itself with particles without the need for a long-theorized period of rapid expansion known as inflation. A CPT-respecting universe would add some additional neutrinos to the mix. All other particles known to physics have both left and right-handed varieties, so physicists have long wondered if there's an additional right-handed neutrino. A CPT-respecting universe would demand the existence of at least one right-handed neutrino species. Uh, the species would be largely invisible to physics experiments, only ever influencing the rest of the universe through gravity. 
but an invisible particle that floods the universe and only interacts via gravity sounds a lot like dark matter. The researchers found that the conditions imposed by obeying CPT symmetry would fill our universe with right-handed neutrinos enough to account for the dark matter. So it sounds uh, like it fits like kind of a glove, right? I feel like I'm going to sound really dumb, dude. But like, I don't know if you've read that book, A Universe from Nothing by Lawrence Krauss. But something that he like kind of posits in that book is that like uh, the total sum energy of the entire universe is zero. And he's like, when you equate for everything, like the particles and the antiparticles of matter and the dark matter, everything ends up theoretically being zero. And working perfectly. Does that kind of vibe with like what you're explaining right now, in your opinion? I think so. In this theory, this universe would exist like behind the Big Bang relative to where we are in our universe. So it would go in two directions. We would never be able to, you know, access it unless, you know, somehow it was circular, like time was circular and it was parallel. That's my own brain. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. That's, that's just how I, I'm imagining it and trying to fit it in with like what DeLong talks about with, you know, side by side type thing. Yeah, if it's going in the opposite direction as us, it's technically going backward in time relative to us. I feel like this is exactly what you're talking about. And if it is, we can talk about it more because this won't take that long to read. He goes, legendary physicist Richard Feynman was the first person to provide an intuitive understanding of why relativity requires the existence of antiparticles, which also yielded a graphic demonstration of that empty space is not quite so empty. Feynman recognized that relativity tells us that observers moving at different speeds will make different measurements of quantities such as distance and time. For example, time will appear to slow down for objects moving very fast. If somehow objects could travel faster than light, they would appear to go backward in time, which is one of the reasons that the speed of light is normally considered a cosmic speed limit. A key tenet of quantum mechanics, however, is the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, which, as I have mentioned, states that it is impossible to determine for certain parts of quantities, such as position and velocity, exact values for a given system at the same time. Alternatively, if you measure a given system for only a fixed finite time interval, you cannot determine its total energy exactly. What all of this implies is that for very short times, so short that you cannot measure their speed with high precision, quantum mechanics allows for the possibility that these particles act as if they are moving faster than light. But if they are moving faster than light, Einstein tells us that they must be behaving as if they are moving backward in time. I thought that was fucking awesome. That makes sense. Yeah, that's why we need scientists to explain these things to us. I think they should haul Lawrence Krauss and Richard Dawkins into the Soul Foundation, honestly. I think that would be a breath of fresh air. Well, he's got to get the fuck out of a Center for Skeptical Inquiry first. Oh, is he involved with that? Yeah, he's like a main guy in the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. Interesting. Is Dawkins? Yeah. Really? He, he's like old school, though. I think it was around like 2010 when all the psychos came in and started. Oh, okay. So Roger Penrose, who we talk about a lot in the context of his consciousness studies of the uh, ORC-OR quantum physics explanation of the microtubules and their entanglement and how that can lead to consciousness. He's obviously like a brilliant mathematician. He did this 
paper, it's a preprint, and it's called uh, The CCC and the Fermi Paradox. He has his own theory called conformal cyclic cosmology, and it's basically that the universe uh, is just a series of big bangs. So CCC, conformal cyclic cosmology, what is currently regarded as the entire history of our universe from its big bang origin to its infinitely exponentially expanding ultimate future is but a single eon in an unending succession of broadly similar such eons. In CCC, the current eon is very similar to the picture represented by standard model, differing from it primarily in that the early inflationary phase is not taken to be a feature of our current eon, but whose effects arose instead from the ultimate exponential expansion of the eon prior to ours. So there is no contracting phase, but the transition from the ultimate expansion of one eon to the Big Bang of the next is regarded as having occurred via an intermediate phase in which the material contents of the universe consist solely of what are, in effect, massless particles satisfying a conformally invariant dynamics. So it's basically like a cycle of different eons and big bangs in between. So it's not just a big bang and then here we are. It's essentially hypothesizing that throughout these eons, highly evolved technological societies are leaving messages for the for the beings in the next eon on the cosmic microwave background. So he says, what kind of signals might we expect that such beings could be sending out? It seems highly unlikely that the manipulation of supermassive black holes would be an efficient way of sending signals, say, beyond their own eon, even with the enormously advanced technology that might be possible for them to achieve well before the inhospitable, empty frigidity that would be the terminal situation of their eon. From our own limited and relatively extremely primitive perspective, much more promising would undoubtedly be electromagnetic signals although neutrinos just conceivably present to us another possibility. The conformal invariance of Maxwell's equations allow us the possibility of such signals surviving the crossover from one eon to the next, provided that the wavelength is long enough to avoid excessive scattering by charged particles in the early stages of the subsequent eon. What might be a purpose to the previous eon beings of possibly deliberately transmitting such signals to beyond their eon, where we must bear in mind that the two-way communication with us would be impossible in this way? Perhaps those beings might have wished to save the inhabitants of our subsequent eon from some unpleasant fate that their greater wisdom could help us avoid. Here, the purpose would, for one reason or another, simply be the transmission of information from their eon to ours. Alternatively, there is the idea of information panspermia, i.e. the propagation of quote-unquote life codes by the use of such signals, like the bit strings of the human genome and other species of terrestrial life. In the first case, information would be transmitted with the expectation of its future decoding, perhaps for some genuinely altruistic motive. The second case can be viewed as a kind of travel by their civilization, possibly from one eon to the next or perhaps within a single eon. This would be an example of what has been referred to as information panspermia, being based on the fact that the human genome and that of other terrestrial species starting from bacteria possesses low Kolmogorov complexity. So yeah, he's basically saying that information such as the genetic code can be passed in between these eons, which are you know periods of time between big bangs. Whoa. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's, it's a mind fuck. I've had to like read this three times to understand it. Let me ask you this. Are you familiar with the, of course you are, the Leslie Orgel and Francis Crick 
wrote a paper called uh, Directed Panspermia. I don't know if you're familiar with like the entire paper in its entirety, but in the very end, they mention this. In summary, there is adequate time for technological society to have evolved twice in succession. The places in the galaxy where life could start, if seeded, are probably very numerous. We can foresee that we ourselves will be able to construct rockets with sufficient range, delivery ability, and surviving payload if microorganisms are used. Thus, the idea of directed panspermia cannot at the moment be rejected by any simple argument. It is radically different than the idea that life started here ab initio without infection from elsewhere. We have thus two sharply different theories of the origin of life on Earth. Can we choose between them? So I know that's not entirely what you were reading, but that idea that it's the idea of this massive, massive amount of time. And then the idea that like these things, we make them very special and personal and it only happens once. Like everything that is about us and our circumstance that happened all for us and like God made it for us. You know what I mean? Like physicists, I feel like are slowly chopping those arguments down and they're making these processes, even like the Big Bang, seem like something that it just occurs. These are things that occur in the natural world. And we're learning more about them slowly and surely. But uh, that's what I got out of that. No, that makes sense and ties in definitely. And um, I did write an article about this, the eons. I think it's called like Recycling the Cosmos. <laughs> and um, I kind of tied in UFOs and, uh, you know, how DeLong says, you know, maybe these things are from outside time or they can be from outside time or potentially another timeline. When, when these big bangs happen in succession, like perhaps they can pop out of our timeline as they happen and pop back in after and kind of transmit that genetic information wherever they want. That, that was my kind of speculation over the top. What, what was on Tom's guitar, like uh, soul containers oh, or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> besides the other part about a meeting under the Pentagon. Oh yeah, that's another episode. <laughs> <laughs> There's a part that talks about biological radio in Disneyland of the Gods. I think Keel, just to preface this, I think Keel was frustrated with the idea of SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, that group or organization. They were very, very keen on uh, radio signals, and they were insistent that if we get a signal from outer space, it would be by a radio signal. And this is what John Keel writes in Disneyland of the Gods. It says, biological radio. Modern technology is incapable of communicating with a distant civilization and efforts to do so are a waste of time and money. If a Martian scientist had attempted to reach us by radio in 1876, he would have failed because we had no radio receivers then. If another Martian should try to contact us in the year 2176, he might also fail because we would also no longer be using primitive radio. 100 years from now, we will in all likelihood be using a powerful form of biological radio broadcasting on frequencies now undefined. It is quite possible that these biological frequencies are being used today. 
Parapsychologists have been studying biological radio for some years now. It is usually called ESP and means that one human brain is broadcasting to another human brain. Such transmissions are instantaneous. Once we fully understand the process behind ESP, we can broadcast mentally to brains on a distant planet, circumnavigating the limitations of space, time, and the speed of light. Conversely, brains on that far-off world could broadcast to earthly minds and might even control us with without our being aware of it. A few select humans have been utilizing these biological channels for thousands of years. Some people even claim the ability to leave this planet and cruise among the stars on beams of biological energy. If mankind ever manages to escape this puny little solar system, it will not be by technological means, e.g. spaceships, but will involve utilization of the biological frequencies of the so-called superspectrum. The process calls for the human consciousness to abandon the frail biochemical machine that houses it. This process has been known for thousands of years and is called astral projection or OBE, out-of-body experience. It isn't limited to a few random crackpots and cultists. There have been scientists, scholars, and important public figures who have claimed this ability. Apparently, the thing we call consciousness is a fragment of energy somehow inserted into our bodies by an outside force or energy field. It gives us an awareness of self which separates us from all other animals. Persons near death frequently report that they found themselves floating in the air above their bodies, able to watch doctors and nurses working over their dormant form. Others have taken boulder flights across the country, over oceans, and even into outer space. When they returned to their human shell, they were able to describe accurately distance events they witnessed. Dr. Edgar D. Mitchell, one of the astronauts who left his footprint on the moon, calls this externalization. Our individual consciousness may be part of a larger energy field capable of cruising that field like a bird gliding along with an air current. John Keel is the man. I know, man. He puts it so well. And he wrote that in the 80s. And that that actually really does tie into this. I mean, it's um even mentions Edgar Mitchell. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Penrose in here. He, yeah, he's talking about information panspermia, whether that's um, biological signal or uh, here he, he says it's attributed as solution number twenty three to the Fermi paradox. It's kind of interesting to think of like the cosmic microwave background as like potentially the cave art of the universe. I don't know. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I just thought of that. That's, uh, that's interesting. you have anything you wanted to um, let um, people know about? What was something I've sent you in the past? I'm trying to think because I sent you a lot of nonsense, dude. This is where Garrett plugs other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to think of things that I know. Are, are helpful. Um, Check out the Super Bowl. <laughs> what was I going to honestly know? It was about fucking devil. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. It was about it was about that fucking operation. I sent you this. He talks about like this like apocryphal book and I was reading that book and it freaked me out. So, I'm not going to plug that. <laughs> um yeah, as usual, I just want to thank everyone who uh, supports the show on Patreon. So, I have a Substack that uh, people can subscribe to five bucks a month and you get all my articles there. And uh, I 
I'm starting to put all my paid articles also on our website and it's kind of uh, set up so Patreon subscribers can access those too on the website. So yeah, that's available as well. And uh, that's patternstellstories.com. And um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I put out an article called, uh, well, it's a new series called Investigating the Investigators, where I kind of go through and uh, pick apart some of the people who are picking apart the people in, in the community who um, may have uh, some ulterior motives and um, try to show like what's kind of really going on because there seems to be a lot of coordination behind the scenes being uncovered recently, particularly with these skeptic groups and um, certain journalists who may have other reasons than they're letting on to uh, be writing some of these hit pieces. There's just some obvious stuff that I think needs to be brought to light. So that's what I'm doing with that. And uh, yeah, it's funny. The founder of um, Real Skepticism on Wikipedia posted my article on her Facebook page. So that's really. Kinda, yeah, it's like Dunning Kruger effect, like in real, like full force. <laughs> <laughs> like she does not understand how horrible that article makes her organization look. Oh so, my god! She thinks she's so right all the time that she, you know, posting that like proves her point when it really just like rips her rips her apart, basically. So that was fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, check out yeah, that's tinyclass.com, uh, patternstillstories.com, and um, yeah, check out our Patreon if you want to join the Discord and. Um, get our bonus episodes and paid articles as well. And uh, yeah, man, that's all I got. And we will see you next time. Thanks, guys. 